Hello everyone, my name is Zachary Rodier and welcome to episode 2 of the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast. We have a great show for you today. Um, We are going to be talking about some NHL recent signings and about other NHL news. And we also have a great interview with the Hockey Hall of Fame's Keeper of the Cup, Mike Bolt. I talked about Mike last week in my Day with the Cup story and we are so excited to have this great interview with Mike today and he talks about his time at the Hall of Fame and about his job as Keeper of the Cup and let's get right into that interview. I hope you enjoy. Last week I told you about my Day with the Cup story and today the Quarantine Hockey HQ podcast is extremely Excited and grateful to have someone who helped make that day happen for me and many others. I'm excited to be joined by one of the most important people when it comes to the Stanley Cup and the Hockey Hall of Fame. Born and raised in Toronto, today's guest grew up playing hockey, but then began managing a cowboy boot and western wear store. Being with the Stanley Cup all the time is a dream job of many hockey lovers. Before our guest, this dream became a reality. In 1997, after working at the Hall of Fame for three years. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome the keeper of the cup, Mr. Mike Bolt. Mike, thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, Zach, thanks for having me. Uh, So, obviously, being the keeper of the cup is a dream job of any hockey fan. How did you start taking care of the cup and start working at the Hall of Fame after managing a Western wear store? Where did you uh, start coming into the Hall of Fame? And was there an interview or was there who can clean the cup the cleanest or something like that? Uh, what, what went through your head when you realized this was going to be your new reality, being the keeper of the cup? Well, that's a great question. It's a bit of a long answer, but I'll try and give you as quick as I want as I can. And first of all, growing up as a hockey player, especially here in Canada, um, you don't dream of looking after it. You dream of winning it. But like most play, people that play hockey, uh, the dream of getting to the NHL is really hard and I didn't come close so you know I went on to do other things uh, I ran the cowboy boot store and, and uh, as the fashion market died in the cowboy boot business I uh, was looking for something to do and I was just really just wanted to get out of the house it wasn't about finding a career or anything and I got a job at the Hall of Fame and worked there for about six months and then was continuing to work there at nights and weekends uh, when I went back to the real world managing uh, a bunch of other stores and uh, I decided I want to try and find a job in hockey I was working at the Air Canada Center and at the Hall of Fame and just trying to find anything I could. I was applying for minor league teams to NHL to whatever and really just trying to find anything. And uh, this job fell in my lap. I was working at the events department at the Hall of Fame and uh, my boss, Jan Barina, at the time said, hey, there's a job opening up. I put a good word in for you and Phil's going to talk to you. And I said, okay, what's the job? She goes, oh, I can't tell you. I'm like, well, how am I supposed to prepare for the interview? And she goes, like, don't worry about it. And I'm like, all right. So I kind of forgot about it. And a couple of days later, Phil catches me in the office and he goes, hey, you got a minute? I'm like, sure. Go into his office, sit down and he goes, hey, we think you'd be good as one of the cup keepers. You interested? And I'm like, sure. Kind of gives me the rundown of the job. And, you know, I'm kind of a deer in headlights. Oh, yeah, okay, great. Sounds great. <laughs> yeah. I walk out of the office. I'm kind of pretty humble and quiet. And then about 20 minutes later, I went, oh, my God, I just got handed the Stanley Cup. And I got really excited and called my parents and told them the new job that I got at the hall. And uh, that was 20 years ago. And you know, uh, it, it's, you know, it was an honor and a pleasure to travel with it for the last 20 years. So um, uh, it was just, again, just dumb luck that I kind of fell right place, right time. I guess a little bit of hard work got me there too, but 
uh, lucky and uh, right place is really, I think, how I got the yeah, job. Yeah, so there wasn't really an interview necessarily. He just No, like, I mean, that was the funny thing. I went, like, I went into Phil's office and I literally sat down and he goes, yeah, I just wanted to talk to you. I'm thinking we need another cupkeeper and we think you'd be really good at it. You'd be interested. That's really how it went. So, yeah, yeah it wasn't, I guess they'd made their minds up already or whatever, but uh, it was a pretty quick uh, conversation in Phil's office. Yeah, and uh, so when you were working at the Hall of Fame before uh, being the keeper, uh, did you, like, what did you do at the Hall of Fame? So I uh, started off just working in the museum on the on the floor with all our general guests coming in and, again, did everything from standing by the cup to uh, working the cash to running the games and, and, and a variety of other couple of things. Then I went on to the events department, which is special events where companies and, and people could rent the place out for for from business meetings to um, to having parties and stuff like that, and and then I became a supervisor in that, and then I went on to uh, special projects, which was traveling around with other trophies and other Hall of Fame displays that we set up around the country, around North America. Uh, so I was involved with that, and then just kind of fell into the cup. So that's kind of how it evolved at the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, but during these times, you'd usually be extremely busy, uh, right in the middle of the playoffs, and. What was it like for you as someone who's uh, taking care of this cup all the time, knowing that the season was canceled and your whole routine is just now you're at home and how weird is this for you? And how is the cup being taken care of right now as well? Well, um, yeah, it's really weird. Um, This all started back in February and, you know, I never thought it was going to be like what we're into right now. Uh, I mean, I remember being at the all-star game with Phil and I were talking and, Phil had previously been in China and uh, we, you know, just, you know, kind of made some jokes about it, not thinking that, that, that this was going to be that serious. And then even when we came up to the end of, uh, end of February and into March, I was uh, uh, the last event I did was hometown hockey up in uh, northern Manitoba. And I remember with some of the corporate people from uh, talking about how they were going to start to be grounded. And I kept saying, we'll probably power through. That's just the way we are. And, and of course, we all know what happened on March 12th with everything shutting down. And uh, yeah, this is a crazy time of year. I've, I, been home now for two months uh, I've never been home this long oh. in my life uh, um, you know I'm actually to be honest with you, I'm I'm, tech, I'm laid off I got laid off because oh. of my, my job completely stops and uh, we don't know when you know well, hopefully hockey will start back up and then eventually our job will start back up but just yeah. so much uncertainty right now you just don't know and uh, we just got to be patient and just hope everything gets back to the normalcy let's just get hockey back first yeah that's too bad and like at the archives or wherever the Cubs being held is is anyone there uh, like dusting it or taking care of it or it's just like locked up and yeah, no, no, it's there. locked up. It's secured. It's uh, in a safe place on, uh, on Hall of Fame property. And uh, you know, it's uh, unfortunately it's never been sitting in its box this long ever either. Like, you know, um, you know, it was the odd day off here and there, but the cups on the road, you know, 320 days a year doing events. Wow. So yeah. it's uh, unusual for the cup to, you know, they always say if the cup could talk, you wonder what would it be saying is that back in, back <laughs> yeah. in the box for almost two months now. Yeah, and uh, we got to know that uh, since you started working at the Hall of Fame in 1997, many teams and people have hoisted the Stanley Cup. What was the craziest team that brought you the craziest summer with the most mishaps or funny stories with the Cup, and why? Well, that's a great uh, great question. I, first, I started at the Hall of Fame in 95 and started traveling with the Cup in 2000. Um, one of my favorite mem- or one of my favorite things about the Stanley Cup is the presentation when the commissioner Gary Bettman hands it to the captain and the captain hoists it, and then where they put it first uh, and who do they give it to and 
You know, you look at Konstantinov with what Steve Eisenman putting in his lap in the 1998 after that horrible car accident that he was involved in in 97 after they won the cup. It's a special moment. And I love the Ray Bork. Uh, you know, when, when Joe Sakadimon hoisted the cup after getting the cup from the commissioner, he uh, handed it right to Ray, and Ray was the first one to lift it. And that was one of my most memorable Stanley Cup final ever, uh, for sure. Um, any team that I travel with, it's a big deal. I mean, anytime you win a championship and, and win the Stanley Cup, it's it's a big deal. It's a big summer. Uh, everybody's excited in their hometown. So to pick one particular team over another is, is, is hard to pick. I mean, probably the biggest parade that we've ever had was uh, almost two and a half million people in Chicago. And their last one was just, wow. was just incredible uh, to see that many fans and see that market grow and grow. It's always been a great market. But with those, those cup runs that they had starting in 2010 and, and onward, uh, that market just kept getting bigger and bigger. So that might have been the craziest city you'd be a part. I remember just driving around how many, uh, especially with the players, uh, right after they won the cup, we go into a bar with the cup and the team, and they'd have to shut the entire street down. And, uh, you know, it was it was uh, chaotic for a few days. I think eventually the police finally called the NHL and said, can you tell the Chicago Blackhawks to stay out of the bars for a little bit and yeah. lose control on the streets? But, you know, it was a hell of a celebration in Chicago. But no no different in St. Louis and, and L.A. and any team that ever won the Stanley Cup. It's big to those fans. It's big to that market and always big to the players. I mean, some of it's a lifetime dream. Some of them are fortunate enough to win it, you know, a couple of times. And it's always a big deal. So Yeah, I mean uh... – but obviously, everyone saw the what they call the summer of Ovi. Do you have any like crazy things with? Did you ever? Were you ever with him with the cup and anything funny happened with that? Yeah, you know, I was with him a couple of times. I didn't do his actual cup day in Russia, but he's great. I mean, he had so much respect for the trophy. He likes to have a lot of fun. Yeah. But he was one of those guys. Everybody said, you know, everybody said, did we have our hands full with him? No, not at all, because he was so great with the cup and respectful. Yeah. He liked to have a great time, which is what it's all about. And our bottom line is have as much fun as you want. Just don't hurt and disrespect Lord Stanley and yeah. put him on perfectly. And we got he was great, like absolutely great. The way he celebrated, where he shared it with everybody, and and again, he just he was so great and respectful with the cup. He I mean, like every player, for the most part, really, really, truly respect the Stanley Cup and are just thrilled to be around it. Yeah. Uh, so even though uh, you and the Stanley Cup travel a lot during the summer and the spring after the playoffs, uh, a lot of people don't know about the doings of the Keeper of the Cup during the rest of the year. Um, like when you came to Columbus uh, to present me with the Cup. Uh, take us through how busy you are during the rest of the year and what the logistics are behind it. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, we're booked about 330 days a year. We do uh, about 100 days with a winning team. So the 200-plus days a year, we're doing events with the National Hockey League All-Star and, and uh, you know, like some of the stadium games and uh, Winter Classic, that kind of thing. Any big NHL event, we usually have the cup at. We're working with other minor league teams, working with networks like NBC and Sportsnet. Um, uh, again, minor hockey, you know, a lot of our – all our partners with the National Hockey League and the Hall of Fame. Um, you know, uh, might even minor hockey tournaments. So, uh, and stuff like, you know, what we did with you, Zach, a few years back and um, through NBC and stuff like that. I mean, just so many great programs that the NHL and the Hall of Fame set up with the Stanley Cup. And, you know, the Stanley Cup brings so much joy and pleasure to so many people. Yeah, and uh, to follow up with that, uh, I told my viewers last week, like I said, about uh, my day with the Cup story and explain how we met. Um, but tell me what grows through your head every time you walk uh, into a room with the cup, uh, knowing how amazing this moment's going to be uh, for people and impact their lives, uh, and explain what goes through your head and your best feel-good moment you've ever had with the cup. Wow. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, it is. It's it, every time you get to crack open that box and put the white gloves on and crack it out, and, and whether it's a, a group of fans of five people or five thousand, it's always an amazing experience. And you know, sometimes it's someone, some of those people's first time ever getting close and personal with it. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. And uh, that reaction never gets old. I mean, it's. I mean, there are days that I can do, you know, twelve appearances or fourteen appearances, which is a lot. And, and you're, you know, you're tired at the end of it. And but the fan and the people that you're bringing the cup to brings such an smile and adrenaline rush to you that you that you get so much out of it too. And uh, you know, that's just the lucky part of being around such an iconic trophy. And you know, it transcends the sport in a way it's more famous than our game in some ways. Yeah. Uh, it's such an icon. So it, you get a tingle every time you get to pull it out of the out of its case and and surprise some people or people know it's coming and just you know, seeing the reaction never gets old. And you know, the different stories, I mean I'll tell you, I remember one year in um, in Pittsburgh in 2009, uh, for the home opener, um, what they did was uh, they had these banners set up around the scoreboard, and they snuck us out bef uh, during the darkness uh, before the pregame ceremony started for uh, to, to raise the banner. And they snuck us in the cup out in these boxes, had us hiding in behind the drapery underneath the scoreboard at center ice. And when the whole uh, the whole show started with all the the run to the cup and, and it was all in these big sheets, and at the end of it, when uh, Sidney Crosby grabbed the cup on the video, uh, him hoisting it and every place goes nuts. Well, the sheets dropped down, and uh, the cup was at center ice, and, and me and my other colleague were standing there at center ice with our in our suits and our white gloves, and the place just went mental. And I get it, it's the cup, but you know you're feeling yeah. off the energy of the crowd, and it, like it was pretty neat just to feel the energy on the trophy that you're standing next to. Uh, it was a, it was a cool thing, and um, probably one of my most interesting experiences ever uh, was taking it to Afghanistan um, and uh, to take it over to the troops uh, over there. You know, we have a fun job. We work in the world of fun. They work in the world of serious, and to bring a bit of the world of fun over to those people that do such a great job looking after us and protecting us and everything was probably one of the most memorable experiences I've ever had. We went over there with some former NHL players, and uh, the, the players played uh, against the Canadian and U.S. Uh, troops in ball hockey. Of course, Canada mm -hmm. built that ball hockey court in Kandahar, so yeah. there was a ball hockey court there already when we got there. And, uh, again, just seeing the joy of, of the cup bringing to all the troops, both the Canadians and Americans. But the other cool thing was there's so many other countries represented in Afghanistan fighting the war, like the Dutch, and then there was, like, uh, there was uh, the, some Czech guys there and Slovaks and some Swedes and, and I was showing all in all the different countries and there was countries like Australia where hockey is really not that big but it is growing and they knew what the cup was and they were coming up and getting their pictures so yeah. that was really cool and uh, again just to be in the middle of a war zone and see what was going on and to bring a little taste of home for them was probably the most interesting experience. The NHL actually did a great um, uh, animation on, on, on my story. They put a bunch of stories together and put them into animation of all the different players' cup stories. And they talked to Phil and I about our cup stories. And anyways, they picked mine. So if you Google my name, you'll see a cartoon pop up with Afghanistan. It's a, it's a, it's a funny little ad. I mean, it's a true story. But uh, their cartoon's a little embellished, but the way I tell the story, everybody should look it up. So if you Google Mike Bolt, you'll see it. It's a pretty interesting cartoon. Thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, so what has been after all your memories with the cup, could you say, and maybe if there's not just one specific one, but what has been the funniest or craziest moment that you've witnessed with the cup that you can share with us? Because <laughs> I know there must be a few that can't be said. Yeah, I mean, uh, oh God, I mean, um, I'm trying to think here off the top of my head. I mean, I, in LA, we had a, 
we had uh, we had a lot of fun in LA and, and the guys were a lot of fun. I remember there was a little situation that kind of went wrong. We had to kind of lecture them on it. I can't really get into the whole details, but, and they're all, they were great. They were like, Hey, we're coaching. Well, we got it. Sorry, sorry. You know, this is right after they won the cup. So little of their common sense had gone out the window. Yeah. And then I remember going to this nightclub where it was this thing that wasn't supposed to happen. They promised me it wouldn't happen. All of a sudden, uh, these people came out of nowhere that were not dressed the way they should have been. And I was like, are you freaking kidding me you guys? Like, we didn't set this up. And they're pushing the people back. And <laughs> it was a pretty crazy thing. And, uh, but we came really close after that whole incident. But, uh, and then, you know, I think one of my favorite, I mean, there's more favorite stories than funny stories, but like, I remember when uh, Andrew Ladd, one of my favorite photos in 2010, um, he kind of had broken up his day. He had like an afternoon night party. And then he had part of the morning before we had to go to the airport and fly to our next destination. And, he was telling me, he goes, yeah, the next morning we're going to get up. We're going to go to my grandfather and have some coffee with his buddies, his cronies that he meets with every day. Then we're going to go on top of a mountain, and then we're going to go to my dad's work and take you to the the, uh, the hotel. I said, oh, that's great, Andrew. I said, I'm just making a suggestion. You're cup day, but Scott Niedermeyer has got this great photo of the sunset in 2000 with his New Jersey Devils jersey on top of a mountain in, in uh, Cranbrook, British Columbia, with the sun setting. Maybe you should think about trying to get the sunset on the mountain. I said, I know you have your party the night before, but you can figure out a way to get only a few hours sleep and suck it up. Uh, it might be really cool. And he goes, let me get back to you. He calls me back. He goes, we're going to do it. We're up at 4 a.m. So he went to bed at midnight. We got up at 4 a.m. I, I ended up going to bed at 1 because the party was outside my room. So it was kind of hard to fall asleep. Yeah. Anyways, we went up on top of this mountain. We caught the sunrise at like 4.45 in the morning. And it was absolutely gorgeous. Again, if you Google Andrew Ladd, you can see these great photos uh, of him uh, wasting the cup on top of the mountain. And the great thing about that story is if we hadn't gotten up earlier and went up at around 9.30, 10 o'clock when he originally planned, it would have been, it was totally uh, fogged in overcast. You wouldn't have got a good shot. And it was pure, beautiful, blue, clear skies when we got on top of the mountain. Um, and then, you know, watching some of these players when they go to, you know, they, they give a lot of their time, even on their time off and watching guys bring it to hospitals or take a few hours to go sign some autographs and take some pictures and raise some money for a local charity. I mean, those are just such memorable experiences. Um, you know, I've had guys take it golfing, um, right down to, we'll have it in the, on the tee box where they're, 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 they're teeing off with the cup next to them too. Even uh, on a par three, we might put the cup near the hole and play closest to the cup. No guys ever come close to it. And I am standing there near close to the cup in case the ball does come right out of it. Yeah. You know, certain fun things like that too. Um, and then a variety of the different foods from, uh, uh spaghetti and meatballs to jello, ice cream, poutine um and a lot of different uh, beverages both children and adult beverages out of the cup is always fun to yeah. watch too. and like you said you're moving a lot and you're not never home and now you're home for so long has this been since you started being the keeper of the cup the longest time you've been at your home in a row in a while absolutely i mean this time of year i would normally be only on average maybe eight nine days each month um some months are busy like this is a really busy time of year and i mean between me how and phil we get it all done but it's uh it's a really extremely busy time of year so yeah even my friends uh who i've been talking to or um i did have a social drink with a couple of them the other day and they're my two of my closest friends and it's like it's really weird having you around you're never around right especially this time of year we don't usually see it till july when we start getting the cup schedule going and we have weeks off at a time because uh usually a week on week off once the summer gets going yeah and uh, what are your thoughts that you can share with us on uh, the current NHL season? Uh, do you think it's going to continue? And if, if so, how does this pandemic change your routine uh, when you start going around with the cup again? Um, people love to touch and kiss the cup. 
what new steps will you implement to keep the cup safe from passing on viruses? I mean, these are great questions. Uh, I mean, unfortunately, don't have a lot of answers for it right now, Zach. I mean, that's you know, the NHL and they work with the health. I mean, I have, I'm out of it. Like, I mean, I mean, I talked to Phil. We talked the other day. He actually sent me a funny text because uh, we just, you know, the Kentucky Derby was this past weekend, and he sent me yeah. a text Sunday morning. How was the Derby? I'll see you at the I'll see you at the airport when I pick you up because that's usually our tradition. And I always buy these wine glasses for him, so we made jokes about that, but. Hey, other than that, I'm out of the loop. We're, we're, I'm, I'm not really sure. I mean, I, I know as much as you guys. I watch the news. I, I pay attention. I mean, and again, when hockey starts up, again, they, they talk about no fans. So, I mean, the cup is all fan related other than, you know, if, if, if the cup gets presented, obviously it'll be there to be presented. But I, I have no idea what plans there are in place. Again, there's a lot to, a lot of things that have to happen between uh, for the next month or so to see. And, uh, you know, I mean, also both sides of the border uh, make, a, make a difference here, too. So there's just a lot of things that are totally out of our control. Um, so we just have to be patient and sit back and, and wait. And obviously, nothing's going to happen unless it's safe to happen. So uh, that's the bottom line is that we'll, we'll get back at her when it's safe, ready, safe and ready to go. Yeah, and uh, unusual without COVID-19 and everything else, how, how do you maintain it properly? I mean, the Cubs been uh, – Obviously, it's not the same uh, since it was inaugurated uh, 125 years plus ago. Um, but how do you maintain it properly to make sure it always has that shine and has the least amount of dents as possible? Oh, like when we're at work and traveling around, you mean? Yeah. Not during not. Yeah, I mean, no. I mean, that's our job to keep, you know, obviously it's a trophy that doesn't hide behind glass. So the odd accident can happen. But for a 125-year-old trophy, I mean, it, it's it, it's in great shape. And uh, and it's got a great shine. It's really easy to clean it. Really just, you know, people are just doing appearances where they're touching it. We use just a wet cloth, sometimes a little soap on it. And then, you know, wipe it down, you know, give it a little rinse and then and buff dry it. And the shine comes out amazing. We polish it once maybe twice a year to give it a real good shine. Obviously, the Stanley Cup final is one of them. Maybe halfway through the season where we need to bring out the silver polish and give it another good shine. But soap and water really is the best way to clean the Stanley Cup. So just like a, a dish or anything else. That's exactly. I'm a professional dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. And uh, um, so as kids, everyone has their favorite team. And obviously, you can't have uh, your favorite one right now. Or, or maybe you can. I don't know. But uh, when you were growing up, what was your favorite team? Was it the Bolts because you're Mike Bolt, or what, well, I, uh, what was your favorite team? I mean, the Bolts weren't even around when I was growing up. I mean, I yeah. grew up in Toronto. I still live in Toronto. Um, and, you know, I grew up in Leaf Bend, and they're the team I still watch a lot today because it's the team that when I'm home, uh, uh, I'll watch a game for sure. But, I mean, lucky in Canada, there's always a game on uh, when hockey's going, so you can find a, find a game. But I would say the Leafs are the team I watch the most for sure. Uh, I still like the least, but honestly, I have 31 teams. I, I love the game of hockey, and I just love watching all the different teams. And, you know, that's my favorite time of the year is April uh, when we start the playoffs. It's, uh, the first round of the playoffs is the most exciting. So, uh, again, I hope things get back because I'm just a fan of the game. Uh, I, I can't wait to see hockey, whether I get to work or not. I'm just looking forward to watching games again. Yeah, and uh, probably the to cap it off as the last question, uh, and I know maybe you can share a few, but what has been your most memorable time uh, with the Stanley Cup so far? I mean, there's, I mean, again, we travel over 200 plus days a year. There's so many of them. But uh, I mean, I mentioned the Afghanistan. The first time going to Russia was amazing. It was a country I always wanted to go over there. And my first time over there was with Pavel Dasuk and the O2 Red Wings and uh, uh, and Igor Larionov. And Igor was a real great ambassador over there. Uh, 
Pavel's a great guy, but his first time over there, he didn't speak a lot of English. Uh, we kind of communicated through his facial expressions and he had a translator. Yeah. Uh, and it was funny back in 02 with Pavel, uh, his English wasn't very good, but you know, there's a funny guy in there. And then when he won in 08, he was speaking good English and you could tell how funny he was in the jokes, but yeah. Russia was definitely a great experience. My first time over there. Um, Probably, uh, you know, also going on the space shuttle, uh, which I've had the pleasure of going on two different space shuttles. Wow. Uh, in 2004, uh, with Tampa Bay, uh, Jay Feast, the general manager, got an a invite to Kennedy Space Center for an off-the-books tour on one condition he brings the cup. Well, I read the cup's coattail, so off we went. And we got a tour that was unbelievable. We were told that we saw more than 99% of NASA employees have ever seen. Wow. So uh, that just put it in perspective how much the doors that the Stanley Cup can open. And then in 2011, when the Bruins won, uh, we had it uh, down at Kennedy Space Center uh, with Jeremy Jacobs, the owner of the Bruins. His company runs the visitor center at NASA, at Kennedy. And uh, he was getting one of the retired shuttles, and we got to bring the cup into the retired shuttle before it was stripped and sealed for eternity and we actually this time got the cup right in the flight deck uh that was pretty cool phil and i have a great photo actually i can probably here show you it's right actually right here can you see that yeah that's phil and i in the flight deck of the space shuttle that's awesome yeah i mean obviously a lot of cool experiences you wouldn't be able to do without the cup and when you were talking about going to russia and I mean, how many countries have you visited uh, because of the cup? Obviously, it's hard to travel everywhere, but how many countries and how many places has this cup enabled you to go? For me personally, I've been to 24 countries with the Stanley Cup. I've been all over North America in every province and every territory in, in Canada, and I've been in every uh, state uh, other than Hawaii with the Stanley Cup. Uh, so every state has had the cup in it at one time or another. Uh, we'll probably hopefully get it to Hawaii one day. I personally have been to Hawaii. So I'll, lay on. And, and we even had the cup go across the border briefly into Mexico when we were down with the Canadian, or the, sorry, the Central Hockey League uh, in Laredo, Texas, with the All-Star game. We walked the cup into Mexico. So the Stanley Cup has done all of North America, check, which is kind of cool. Um, and then the cup, you know, I think the cup in total has been to 27 different countries in total. Yeah, that's awesome. How 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 many places you've been and how many places the cup's been uh, well mike thank you uh so much for coming on the show uh do you have anything else to add no zach great talking to you and uh let's hope we get hockey back soon and everybody just be safe out there okay thank you mike thanks zach thanks now we're going to be talking about nhl recent signings and the first one is Jonas Corposalo. He's a goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He would have been a restricted free agent this year, um, but he signed a contract extension recently for two years and an AAV of $2.8 million with a total contract of $5.6 million. He will be in a UFA in two years from now, and he was drafted in 2012 62 overall by the Columbus Blue Jackets, and he was a backup for the Blue Jackets until Sergei Bobrovsky left uh, via free agency this summer. And Elvis Merzlikens, who is the Blue Jackets' second goaltender, uh, who also recently had a new signing. We'll talk about him next week, but he was just coming from Latvia, and he wasn't expected to be a starting goaltender right away. And now Corposalo had this opportunity to be the starting goaltender for the Columbus Blue Jackets, and Corposalo took this opportunity and went with it. 
He played 37 games so far this season, and he started 35 of those. He had 19 wins, 12 losses, 5 overtime losses of those 12 losses. Uh, he had 92 goals allowed and a 2.60 goals allowed per average and a save percentage of 0.911 and two shutouts. Uh, so he had a great uh, start of the season and he was actually named the all-star for the Metropolitan Division. And it was it was great for him, but then the Blue Jackets ran into a problem. Um, it was an overtime. Uh, there was a clock issue uh, that wasn't resolved. It's also known as the game that um, John Tortorella uh, got fined by the NHL um, because the time was messed up and the league did not fix it. And Jonas Corposalo ended up getting injured during the shootout. Uh, he injured his knee and he was out for a while. He was injured on December 29th and that disqualified him from the All-Star game uh, because he was injured, which was a tough break for him. He was actually named um, to the All-Star team one day after he was injured, uh, which was brutal to him. Um, but he now is great. He's in good health. Uh, if the NHL season does resume, uh, he had one start, uh, one start-ish, and then he... It was a short game. Uh, he only played for half of it. And then uh, because he was relieving uh, Elvis Merzlikens, uh, who got injured, and then Corpusolo started another game as well until the NHL season stopped. And after this signing, Corpusolo says he's ready to compete um, to get this NHL number one spot for the Blue Jackets. Of course, uh, like I said, Elvis Merzlikens signed another contract for more, and we'll talk about that more next week. Um, but that looks like one of the goaltenders may have to be traded. Um, but Corpusalo said he's up for the challenge, and he's ready to prove that he should be the number one goaltender uh, for the Columbus Blue Jackets. The next signing is Marco Scandella. He is a defenseman for the St. Louis Blues. He signed a four-year contract. He will be a UFA. His AAV is $3.275 million. He has a modified no-trade clause and $13.1 million in total. He was drafted in 2008, 55 overall, by the Minnesota Wild. Uh, he's had a decent career. Uh, he had 580 games played so far with 42 goals, 95 assists, and in total 137 points. He did not have a great year uh, so far this year. He had 62 games played with only four goals, nine assists, and 13 points. Um, so not great for him, and he had 20 minutes in penalty. Um, so it wasn't a great season uh, for Scandella, um, but he is a good player. He's a good player. I mean, he's had some good numbers, and I think the St. Louis Blues believe in him, and they realize that this may not have been his best year, and I think 
uh, locking him up as a stay-at-home uh, great defensive defenseman. Uh, it's what you're going to get with $3.275 million per year. I think it's not too expensive for a veteran player like that. Uh, he has a no-trade, uh, modified no-trade clause, so it looks like he will um, be staying in St. Louis for these four years. And I think the St. Louis Blues believe that this is a player that's uh, going to play some great defense for them, maybe not get them points all the time, especially um, with this rough season he's had so far. Um, but, I mean, I he's great defensively, and the St. Louis Blues believe in him, and so we'll see how he does uh, in the future. Now, in some other NHL news, great news coming from the Philadelphia Flyers, Oscar Lindblom uh, is nearing his last cancer treatment for bone cancer. Uh, congratulations to Oscar. He was diagnosed uh, with cancer this season, and he had to take time off from the Philadelphia Flyers, and he uh, went and visited the team and went to a game uh, during the season while he was not playing um, due to this illness. Um, but the NHL and the Philadelphia Flyers released this week uh, that Oscar is nearing his last treatment, and we want to congratulate him and wish him the best of health. And that's just some great, uh, great news um, from the Flyers. And in the next news, we got some more information this week that the NHL is getting closer to stage two uh, for players to begin small practices. There's four stages in the NHL's plan to get back and finish and award the Stanley Cup. The first stage is the self-quarantining, uh, which they're doing right now. Uh, the NHL is then planning on a stage two, which would be small player practices in the team's regional location. And where, so the Columbus Blue Jackets would be practicing in Columbus. New York would be playing in New York, uh, if that's even possible. Uh, Montreal and Montreal, etc. And of course, this stage two would only be available for cities and teams where COVID-19 isn't as bad. So for example, like I said, New York, it may not be a possibility for them to even do that right now because of how bad COVID-19 is still in New York. Um, but for this reason, the NHL was supposed to have their phase one ending uh, around this week, um, but they are expected to prolong the self-quarantining order in phase one until mid-May. And then in the memo the NHL sent out, uh, practices are hoping to start May 15th. Uh, so they would be individual and small player practices. And that is a great sign because then they're wanting to start getting players back on the ice and then start planning for Phase 3, which would be the three-week training camp, and then Phase 4, which would be, like we talked about last week, with the NHL hub cities in the regional sites for divisions. And that would be Phase 4. Uh, but there's some interesting things that are being talked about around other journalists and reporters. Um, for example, it's expected that the American Hockey League, the NHL's uh, farm league, is expected to cancel their season, sadly. And the question is, um, since these players aren't going to be playing for the HL, would they be available to 
play for the NHL, uh, so that way the NHL teams could have more players in case some get injured, um, because if someone gets injured, you can't just keep on bringing more players in. Uh, so maybe the NHL will expand the rosters a little bit. That could be a cool possibility. Um, but also, the debate is still, should the training camps for Phase 3 be held in the bubble cities, or should they be in the team's location? Um, obviously, a big problem is that the NHL PA basically said to the NHL that if you don't figure out a way to have us be able to visit our families throughout this time, then there may not be really a solution because the problem is, is that the NHL wants all the teams to go into the bubble sites and not be able to see anyone else um, because of COVID-19. And this could be around two months um, and maybe longer for the players that are going to the Stanley Cup final. And if you add the the training camps into those two months, you're going to be away from your families for even longer. And for this reason, the Players Association said that we have to figure out a way to be able to see and visit our families um, because being away from your family for two plus months is a long time and they are going to have to figure out a way to try and get that visitation to work. And also, of course, we've heard from uh, Sportsnet and TSN that hub cities uh, have begun submitting proposals as the NHL sent out their list of criteria officially. We talked about last week Toronto and the Columbus Blue Jackets being the top front runners for those, and they're submitting proposals. So, so are some other teams. Uh, Pierre LeBron said that there are around 12 main interest NHL cities and teams. So besides the Blue Jackets and Toronto Maple Leafs, there's around another 10 NHL teams that are expected to start submitting these proposals. And with this uh, phase four possibly going well into the summer, July, August, and if we do have these bubble cities and the regular season and playoffs that are played out, the NHL 2020 and 2021 season is going to be delayed extremely. The NHL eyes a 2020 December season start, according to the Athletics' Pierre Lebron. Um, they said November's a possibility, December's a possibility, but December seems to be the better option because this way it gives some players to rest after... They've had this rigorous season uh, during the summer. Give them some off time. Um, but another reason is that the NHL is a gate-driven league. They need fans to be able to come in to be able to create revenue for the league. And it's possible if we cancel this season in total, uh, and we did start in October, that we may still not be able to have fans in the arenas by that time. So it may have to be postponed anyway because the NHL, like I said, needs fans to be in the arenas to create revenue. And if the NHL 2020-21 season did start in December, 
there would be no All-Star game, there would be no bye weeks, um, and there wouldn't be other things as well because it would be a more rigorous, uh, fast-paced season, even though the playoffs uh, may end in July instead of June. Um, but there still wouldn't be an All-Star game in bye weeks, and it could cause some more injuries uh, because it's going to be a faster-paced schedule, and the NHL is going to take that into consideration um, but the NHL also released a memo to teams and players about the June draft. The memo, the memo states that the NHL knows that teams do not want this. They know that teams want to stick with the status quo, which is having a draft at the end of the season and at the end of the playoffs. But the league makes a case for the June draft. And they are heavily favoring this. They say that there's going to be a decision next week, either way. And next week or this week, the June draft would maybe be June 5th. And the June draft would have to revert back to the old draft lottery rules uh, where only one team can win. Like you can't move back to second pick or third pick. Um, And you can only move at least four spots up. Uh, And this is because they don't want a team to be able to win the Stanley Cup and win the draft lottery um, because the draft lottery would be used on point percentage at this point. And it's possible that one of those teams on the bubbles, like the Columbus Blue Jackets, they're one of the only teams that could win the draft lottery and uh, win the Stanley Cup because they can still make the playoffs, but with the point percentage, Um, They're out of the playoffs at this point, and so that way they would only be able to move up four points. Um, There's also some other issues that we talked about last week. Uh, Conditional trades. The NHL says that all conditional trades will be resolved. The NHL uh, will propose it, and they'll have seven days to discuss it, or the teams can fix it um, mutually between each other. Uh, The NHL says they need at least one month. Uh, to be able to make this a reality. And it looks like the broadcast partners are also agreeing to have a June draft. Uh, And in response to not being able to have player trades, Bill Daly says that it's not going to be a normal draft, even if it's at the end of the postseason um, or at the start of the postseason, because Bill Daly said, yes, we may know a little more about the CBA and the salary cap and the escrow uh, if we do have the draft at that offseason. But it's still not going to be fully known what's going to happen with those items. And it's still not going to be a normal draft, and there's still not going to be as many trades anyway. Um, So it would make sense for them to have it now anyway. They said that in some drafts they've had 106 trades, and those 106 trades, if they did have the NFL, the NHL draft this season, that it would be 64 trades instead of 106 if they took uh, the draft from last year. And since I said that the NHL is going to use point percentage and that you can only move uh, four up and there's only going to be uh, one choice, like you can only, there's only going to be one winner of the lottery. There are a few things that are guaranteed if this option does go through. Detroit would be guaranteed the first or second spot 
Ottawa has two picks in the first round, and they could do no worse than owning the third and fourth pick. They could get uh, um, above that, but the worst they could do would be the third and fourth. New Jersey, Buffalo, Montreal, and Chicago couldn't jump beyond pick two, three, four, or five, respectively. The Board of Governors uh, met Monday, and we should have a decision uh, by the end of the week. The NHL is in favor of this, as I stated earlier, um, even though some of the GMs oppose it. But the Board of Governors um, will make a decision this week, and hopefully um, by the time we have the next episode, we will be able to uh, have a resolve of this and know if we're going to have a draft in June um, before the NHL even starts. Um, that is all of the NHL news we have this week. Uh, obviously, if we have uh, some news about the NHL draft and other NHL news next week, we'll talk about it. Um, we're going to be talking about some other NHL signings. Um, Yaroslav Halak just got recently signed. So did Jonas Corposalo. Um, and Elvis Merzlikens, and I talked about Jonas Corposalo today, but we're going to talk about Merzlikens next week, which is part two of the Columbus Blue Jackets goalie situation, and we'll get more into that next week. And anyways, this is what we have today for the NHL news. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Mike Bolt, the uh, keeper of the cup. I enjoyed having him on and talking to him about his job. It was a great interview, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And thank you so much for listening to today's episode. And if this is your first uh, episode with us, welcome to the Quarantine Hockey HQ family. And we look forward to having you listen to our future podcast. We have a great one next week with Dave Metzel from Fox Sports Ohio, who covers the Columbus Blue Jackets. And you can always follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Quarantine Hockey HQ and on Twitter at Hockey HQ Podcast. If you'd like to listen to us, you can always go to link tr.ee slash quarantine hockey hq for all of our listening platforms we are now on google Podcasts, spotify and much more and apple Podcasts will be coming in the near future you can also leave a comment for us a video comment that we can bring on the podcast at anchor.fm slash quarantine hockey hq Anyways, thank you so much for listening. I'm Zachary Rodier, and we will catch you on the next one. Thanks.